We'll look this morning, if you have your Bibles, to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 11. Hebrews, chapter number 11. And this time of year is a time of year that I struggle at times just because I know it's Christmas. And uh, most men in their pulpits this morning will deliver their Christmas message and um, always get real scared when I don't have a Christmas message and it's something different. Uh, But I believe it's what the Lord has put in my heart. And so I'm going to give you what I feel like God has given me. And uh, the plan is, if my plan comes to pass, is to maybe give a Christmas message next Sunday morning. All right? So we'll see how that goes. And uh, I know with all the plays and different things going on that uh, today would might have been an ideal day. But come back next Sunday, and we'll see how the Lord directs the service there. Hebrews Chapter number 11, this is a very, very familiar chapter to most people that have been in church for any length of time. You know it as the Hall of Fame of Scripture. It will give us how all of these men obtained a good report. It is a chapter of faith. I want to read just a couple of verses to you this morning and then try to give you Uh, the message. Now faith, verse 1, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. I'm going to skip verse 4. I want to skip down to the story of Enoch. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. Before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That is the scripture that is in my heart this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask his help on the service. Father, I thank you once again for this privilege, God, that you've given us this morning to come before the throne of grace. I do thank you for your mercy, for your loving kindness, for your long-suffering for your gentleness, your tenderness, God, your love that you demonstrate in our lives on a daily basis. Thank you for forgiveness. I thank you, Lord, uh, that you are a great God that sees everything. I pray, God, this morning that you'd touch my heart and my mind that there'd be nothing there that's unlike you. But, Father, we'd do our best to preach in the power and the demonstration of the Word of God. ask you to bless the message, Lord. We know you said you were at word would not return unto your void. We know, God, if it's sent out, you'll accomplish, Father, what you sent it out for. And I pray this morning, God, that that would be the case today. If there be one lost in our midst, touch them, God, and save them this day. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, we're looking today at what we know is the Hall of Fame of the Bible. It is a great chapter of faith. 
It moves us as readers and believers back to days that have already gone by. It takes us back to uh, places to be able to remember what God had done for those that have gone ahead of us. This chapter also encourages those that are reading that if God has done great things for others, He can surely do great things for us as well. This book is written to Hebrew believers. It is written uh, to believers who were still somewhat stuck in a sacrificial system. Uh, they were at one point moving back toward a religious ritual away from uh, by grace or you say through faith and, and the writer deals with those things. But here in this text, the Hebrew believers are encouraged to look at one thing about their forefathers and that was their faith. They were encouraged to look back and remember the faith of Abel, the faith of Enoch, the faith of Noah, Abraham, those great patriarchs, this chapter encourages them to think back uh, to the testimonies of these forefathers that they looked up to so much. <coughs> he says, first of all, about faith, he's going to tell us what it is, and he's going to encourage them to look toward uh, this word faith, and he starts by saying faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the substance of things hoped for. If we are to understand what faith is, uh, we need to understand that the word uh, means to set under or to prop up. It is basically saying that faith is the foundation of who we are. It is basically telling us that without a solid faith, without a solid a belief system in place under us that we have no foundation and that we uh, will surely fall without faith. He is reminding these Hebrew believers that every name mentioned in this book and even the names that are not mentioned because uh, toward the end of the chapter there are many names that obtain a good report uh, having not received the promise. They did not get their deliverance or get their victory regardless of whether they're named or whether they're not named. It is by faith that they lived and were able to withstand the things of their day. In those days, people were dying for their faith. All of those disciples eventually wound up losing their life for their faith. Those of Polycarp and all that are found in the Fox's Book of Martyrs and all that you read about that died for the faith, even those that are on foreign soil as we speak that are giving their lives physically for the Lord Jesus Christ are doing so because of the foundation of their faith and the belief system that they have with them. And here these readers are reminded that there are some people that uh, have a substance or have something set under them that is propping them up when they cannot go on their own. A, a prop or a, uh, the word is literally a medical term and it's like a gurney. When you have no strength to stand within yourself, uh, your faith will lay you down and carry you through to the next place and point in your life. 
And here, uh, the writer of Hebrews tells us that faith is that substance. It is uh, the foundation that everyone that we read about in chapter number 11, it is the foundation by which they obtained a good report. He didn't just talk about the substance, but then he says it is the evidence of things not seen. Evidence is that by which a thing is proved. Evidence is uh, proof to a matter, uh, a smoking gun, if you will, uh, in a murder scene, a bloody knife uh, laying on the side, fingerprints uh, collected at a crime scene. All of these things are evidences to who did what in that particular area. So here, uh, as he says, it is the evidence. Uh, he says that it's the thing that proves. Our faith is what proves uh, who we are and what proves uh, what we believe and where we stand. Our faith will prove us somewhere down the road. So what is faith? It is your belief. That is the literal definition. It is your belief or your convictions that you live by. This faith should be biblical. Amen. We're not talking about convictions this morning. We're talking about faith. We're talking about the substance of who we are as Christians. I marvel to listen uh, to a lot of folks in our day who will take Bible words and Bible verses and say they do not believe those things. Their faith is built around uh, someone's word. Their faith is built around uh, someone's idea. Uh, their faith is cutting the end off of your roast uh, and putting it in your pan and not knowing why if you cannot believe the Bible. Those of you that were here when I gave that illustration will understand that. But that's what it is. We're simply doing things uh, a lot of times because that's what we've been shown or taught and we have no biblical evidence to prop us up. The Word of God is the evidence that Christ came and was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, rose the third day, and that He's soon coming to take us home. Amen. That is evidence. No history, no history book will deny the life of Christ. And that is our faith. You will certainly fail at times in meeting all that your faith demands. But it is faith that got all of these people in chapter 11 enshrined into this chapter. And it'll be faith. That'll get us through this life. Let me just say this in passing. It's not in my notes and it's not, uh, it may not be relevant to the message, but we believe Jesus is soon coming. And uh, I am unashamedly a pre-trib preacher. That's what I am and that's what I believe. And, uh, but there's a lot of debate over our eschatology in life right now among a lot of people. Uh, some believe he's coming mid-trib, some believe post-trib, all of these different things. And I just want to say this to you, that uh, uh, whether that's a matter of debate in your life or not, you better make sure your faith is right, because somebody's eschatology is wrong. Amen. 
and it very well could be ours. And the reason I say that is this, is what you have concerning faith, your convictions, your belief system, is it enough to get you through if we are wrong? If it ain't, you don't have the right faith. Your faith is in something other than the Word of God. My Bible titles these first seven verses of this chapter as faith before the flood. It's going to deal with Abel who was killed uh, by his brother Cain. Going to deal with Enoch and going to deal with Noah. Noah being the one that is written about the most and is preached about the most. His story is the most popular among the three that are named uh, before the flood. Noah is easy to preach on. He built an ark. He preached uh, for over a hundred years that a flood was coming. His faith uh, was evident and it was out there and it was seen visibly. Abel, by faith, offered a better sacrifice than his brother Cain. He slew an animal. He shed its blood. He did that by faith. The one that has the least amount written about him this morning is the one that I want to try to preach about for just a little while. The man is Enoch. The Bible said he was translated that he should not see death. All of these men that we read about have very little written about them, uh, but somehow made their way here, and it was simply because God uh, was not looking at uh, the words written, but God was looking at their faith. I looked this morning at a church full of people, and I, I can say a lot about every one of y'all, a lot of true things that I've seen, a lot of evidence that you've given in your life about certain things. And uh, we could write books about uh, things that you've been through and, and valleys that you've walked through and trials that you've faced. We could pin it down and fill books. God's already done that, by the way. That's already done. He knows the end from the beginning. It's already done. But this morning, we are, not, we are not looking at the evidences of what makes you, you. We are looking for evidences of our faith, of what we believe. It is faith that made them be mentioned into this chapter. It is faith that will bring these men as well as others to good reports from their lives. And this morning, I want to look at Enoch's life and try to understand what it was about him that got him to this place of faith. What we know about Enoch is something that circulated in the Baptist church for many years about Enoch. Some clever preacher one day I was sitting around and, and said, uh, Enoch was a was not. That's about what we know about him. Uh, the song was written. They've got astronauts and cosmonauts and one day we'll be was nots. And I, you know, I, I don't know about all of that catchy stuff, but what I do know is the Bible said that he walked with God and he was not. 
So this morning, as we look at Enoch, we don't have a great deal of history to be able to tell you about what we do know. He was a man who never died, uh, giving many uh, uh, scholars a type of the church as it's raptured out uh, when Christ comes back. How uh, We know that. The Bible said he was translated that he should not see death. Uh, the word translated that is mentioned here about Enoch is this. Uh, uh, the word says uh, that it is to transfer or to transpose. It is two things, one of which is put in place of another. What happened with Enoch is God had changed his dwelling place. Uh, you've heard all the preachers say he was walking with God and God said, Enoch, we're closer to my house than we are to yours. Let's just go to my house. And took him on home. I do not know if that's the case or not, but what we do know is he was transferred. He was moved from an earthly life to a heavenly life. He was moved from what he knew here to what he would know there. He did not die a physical death. He did not suffer pain and agony. He did not go through what many have. Enoch Enoch went through a change. And in his case, it was a change of address. Amen. Y'all all right. Enoch was just simply walking with God. And all of a sudden, he was not. The greatest words ever recorded of Enoch and maybe some of the greatest words ever recorded of any man was that Enoch pleased God. Enoch did not walk his life trying to make sure that everyone knew his name. Enoch did not set a goal or a standard in his life had to reach a pinnacle of popularity. Enoch was not walking according to a denominational rule book. Enoch did not walk according to a pharisaical law. Enoch walked with God and he pleased God. There are many of my preacher friends in our day that I know have become outcast because they have made up their mind that they are not in this thing to please men and that they are going to preach the word of God and the whole counsel of God. They're going to preach the book rightly divided regardless of what men say. They have made up their mind that truth uh, is what they're interested in, not what they've been taught their entire lives. Uh, and their faith has become strong. Their foundation is the word of God. And friend, if we're ever going to see anything happen in America uh, like it once has, uh, it'll be when we return uh, to the word of God uh, in its purity, in its power, in its truth for what it is and not according to denominations. Amen. 
I still got a little bit of that Appalachian dialect in my voice. Amen. With an H. I like it. Listen, the greatest words that could ever be recorded of anyone is not that they pleased an association or not, that they pleased an independent or not, that they pleased a group of people, but that it was written in the words of the canonized scripture that Enoch pleased God. It wasn't Enoch's flesh that pleased God. It wasn't Enoch's feelings that pleased God. It was Enoch's faith that pleased God. It was his belief in a true and living God. And it was his actions to move according to the way that God said move. Those are the things that pleased him. Most of us have spent a large portion of our lives pleasing others. Pleasing others. We want most everybody, some people really don't care if you like them or you don't like them, but most of us are interested and folks liking us. We don't want to be considered ugly. We don't want to be considered mean. We don't want to be considered as someone who does not care. And we try to demonstrate those things by pleasing people. And in the process, we'll compromise Things in the process uh, will not stand uh, by the very things that we say that we believe. Uh, we'll back off uh, of stands that we took somewhere else and we'll be as unstable as water uh, and we'll have nothing to show for it in the end but a testimony that was unpleasing to God. There are things as a preacher and a pastor that I wish they would have taught in Bible college that nobody teaches them. You know, how to handle situations and how to prepare for this or that. Nobody teaches how to handle those things. But if I could go back and, and I could say to my pastor and to the men that surrounded me, I wished uh, one thing, I wished they would have just said to me, son, uh, get a hold of the truth uh, of the word of God uh, and preach it uh, and preach it uh, and preach it uh, and don't worry about what men will say. Preach the truth and don't please men. I look at Isaac and Jeffrey, young guys. Preach the truth, fellas. Preach the truth. If the truth gets me run out of every church I ever go into, I'll go to heaven shouting glory. Amen. Amen. It was Enoch's faith. It was his faith. It caused him to please God. I'll remind you, listen, I'll remind you 
that the Bible said this, and I, he said it pleased him at the foolishness of preaching and to save them that would believe. Some would say, well, uh, you ought to do it this way or you ought to do it that way. I don't care what way you do it. Uh, as long as what's coming out of your mouth is the blessed word of God uh, and it's presenting a pure gospel, uh, a true gospel uh, that had pricked the hearts of sinners, uh, uh, convict their rotten souls, uh, uh, drag them to an altar and show them uh, their need of a savior. And if your gospel does that, I say preach Amen Genesis 5 21 through 24 gives us the whole life of Enoch in three verses the whole life of Enoch is right there <laughs> I had written a note down in my notes that was wrong and I'm going to correct it instead of just skipping over it I'm going to correct it and say it this way you'll never know what it says in my notes unless you steal it amen and then you'll have to repent for that but I'm going to say it this way what others think of you does not matter it is only what God thinks of you it is only what God thinks of you. Miss Linda Miller is a spiritual lady and I love her. I hope you know that. I hope you know I love you. And I love her and I thank God for her contributions to Landis Baptist Church. But you know what I know? You know what I know about Miss Linda? She's just a sinner saved by grace. And I bet, and I'm just guessing here, I'm going to go out on a limb I bet every now and then she gets plumb aggravated with Brother Chip. <laughs> Probably says some things that she shouldn't say, fusses at him and sins. And you could look at her in those moments and you could say, why, dear God, I thought she was a better woman than that. Miss Linda could take that and say, man, I can't believe they thought me that way. I can't believe they thought I was a bad person. I try to live for the Lord. I just got aggravated one time and they did this and they did that. Can I tell you something? It no matter what you think about Miss Linda. What matters is what God thinks about Miss Linda and that she's pleasing him and not you. Amen. Amen. That's just right. <laughs> Listen, let me get over here. That's what I was going to say about what I wrote down wrong. It ain't about, it ain't about what I think of you or you think of me. It's about what God thinks of me. Amen. Genesis 5, 21 gives us the whole life of Enoch. He was, he was 65 years old when Methuselah his son was born, 65. The word Methuselah means, very simply, you put all this in Noah, you can put it all together. The word Methuselah means when he's gone, it will come. Sounds like one of those Hollywood movies like Field of Dreams, don't it? If you build it, they will come. 
but God had it first. He said, he said that uh, when he's gone, it shall come. When Methuselah died is when judgment came upon the earth and the flood came and all of that happened. That's what we know. Enoch was his father. We know that uh, not only did he uh, birth Methuselah, other kids were born to him, but he lived to be 365 years old and had sons and daughters. Didn't seem like much of a story in Enoch's life. But there are a few more words written about Enoch. Those words were simply, he walked with God. Moses being the writer of the book of Genesis, years after all of these events took place, recording the origins of men and the origins of the world and all of the things that he did under the hand of the Holy Ghost of God and the leadership of God, he pinned down that Enoch walked with God. Songwriter said, he walks with me and talks with me and tells me that I am his own. Preacher, where can I read those kind of things? I, the Shulamite girl in the Song of Solomon said that. She said, my beloved is mine and I am his. He tells me I'm his own. Paul told us over and over and over again that we ought to walk according to the Spirit and not after the flesh. We ought to walk with God. We ought to walk with Him on a daily basis. If the foundation of your faith is right, your walk will be right. Now listen, I don't know of a pastor anywhere in our day that's looking for church members to disappear because they're walking with God. But about every pastor I know preaches and wishes that they walked with God and wants them to walk with God and longs for his people to display their faith by walking with God. If you are not walking with God, you are not displaying your faith correctly. You are displaying but not correctly. Somebody told me this years ago, we are always teaching something. We're always teaching something. Parents, listen to me just for a minute. You're teaching your children every moment while you're in front of them. I'm a pastor, you're a church congregation, happen to be the congregation of sheep God called me to shepherd this moment. So I want you to hear me. If your faith does not bring you back to church more than one time a week, you're teaching your children that one time is enough. You're teaching them that Sunday night and Wednesday night is not important. You say, I don't believe that, preacher. The majority of children that grow up in homes that only attend once a week, those children will only attend once a week if they attend at all. 
Because if it wasn't enough to get them there three times a week, it's probably not that important anyway. You hear me? I'm talking about your faith. We want our kid, nobody wants their kids to go to hell. Nobody. Nobody wants their children to go to hell. We said tonight that this child and that child may go to hell. We'd have a fight from some mama. I promise you, you'd have a fight from a daddy if you said that about mine. I'd say, now, wait a minute there. But the truth is, the truth is our faith, our faith sometimes is displayed in such a weak sense that it does not even make us faithful to church. Enoch walked with God. Where God was, Enoch was. That's where Enoch wanted to be. Wherever God is, that's where I want to be. Wherever God is. Well, I don't like so-and-so down there. I'm not interested in so-and-so. Is God there? Is God there? That's who I'm interested in. I'm interested in God. I read this morning, I thought it was really good. Somebody said it like this. They said, when I, say, when I say God, I mean God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Is God there? Is His Son preached, crucified, and risen and coming again? Is the Holy Ghost of God directing the service and leading in the worship? Is He present in the services? Is the Father magnified as the creator of the universe, of the all in all? Is He there? If He is, that's where I want to be. Listen, to walk with God, the phrase means this. It is to go with Him. It is to come to Him. It is to proceed or move when He moves. I don't know if y'all ever pay any attention to my children or not. I do know. People in the community do too. They call me sometimes and tell me things my children wish they wouldn't tell me, you know. But I wonder if you ever pay attention to my children when they're around their parents. Sometimes I go to turn around and bump into them and I say, why are you up under me? Why can't I move without bumping into you? That's how it ought to be with God. Child has a desire to be near their parents and the point where when they move, the kid moves and you're tripping over them and you're getting frustrated. Could I tell you something? God ain't never going to get frustrated by tripping over you. He's never going to get aggravated if he bumps into you because you're walking so close to him. That is, that is the idea of walking with God, to proceed when he proceeds, to stop when he stops, and to move when he moves, and to go with him when he goes, and to come when he comes. Whatever God is doing, that's what Enoch was doing. And he displayed his faith by simply walking with God. And the Bible said this about Enoch in our text in Hebrews 11. It was said of Enoch that he pleased God. 
He was pleased with bumping into Enoch. Oh, hey, Enoch, how you doing today? Did you know as followers of Christ, we are to mimic his every move. We are to imitate him, to mock him. We are to be, not mock in a scornful way, but we are to try to be like him. And in order for that to happen, we need to be close enough to see what he's doing. We need to be close enough. And here's where you're going to see that. Don't be looking for him on a cross somewhere out there. He's not on a cross. He's not in a tomb. He's seated at the right hand of the Father where he ever liveth to make intercession. And he's right here in his word telling us every move that we are to make. This simple phrase tells us more about the man and as well as how we ought to live. Gives us an idea of who Enoch was. Many, many that we are with today are not together with God at all. It's not just a matter of following afar off. I mean, they don't even know him. Their profession. Peter followed him one time afar off. You remember that? But there's a whole lot of folks don't even know him. And if you're a Christian and that don't scare you about the day and age that we live in, then I don't, I don't know what to say. Folks, the people around us are lost and going to hell. We are the minority. We are the remnant. We are a remnant of people. We are a small group among billions, billions of people. About my favorite place to get about to eat anymore is the flying buffalo. Amen. You don't, I told Brother John just yesterday, I ate lunch there and went back and ate supper there last night. And I told Brother John, I said, if I ever go missing, you tell him to look for my truck in the parking lot of this place because that's usually where it's at, at least at dinner time. And I watch people come in and out of there. If you eat there enough or if you eat anywhere enough, you'll get to know the people that comes in and out. You'll be able to call their names and they'll talk to you. And you'll listen to their conversation. And after a little while, you know what you'll decide? They don't know God. They don't know God. I'm spending time with these people every day. They know, they know I pastor a Baptist church. They know that I love Jesus. I've invited most of them to come to Landis. I've spent time talking with them, but when you just sit in a corner and you're not talking to them and you watch them and you listen to their conversation, it will dawn on you that even though they will talk to you about God and talk to you about the things of God, they'll give him credit for controlling the weather. They'll give him credit for being good, but listen and watching their walk, they do not know him. People you work with are the same way. People where you eat are the same way. The people you shop with are the same way. They're walking around you 
on their way to hell. I mean, just walking. Right? You bump into them, you say, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. Just bumped into somebody on their way to hell. And it might be your walk, your conversation, your faith that God uses to touch them if we're walking right. If we're walking right. Listen. These people profess to know him, but they don't. God, as Enoch was walking with him, God laid hold to Enoch as a bridegroom would lay hold to his bride and carry her off to the honeymoon. Laid hold to her, Enoch, part of his bride, and said, you're coming with me. You realize, listen, you realize he's going to do that again soon. He's going to lay hold to his bride. Here's the question, and I'm going to move on. Are you going to be in it? Are you going to be in it? He took Enoch. All by faith did these simple things happen. Back to that phrase in verse number 5 of our text in Hebrews 11. He pleased God. We learned just a couple of things. First, we can please God. We can make Him happy. Do you know that? You can make God happy. How can we do that? If we're going based solely on the life of Enoch, then we'd have to say we can please Him by walking with Him. We can please Him by doing His will. We can please Him by reading His Word. We can please Him by teaching others that Christ is the Savior. He can be pleased. On the very flip side of that, if he can be pleased, then we can make him angry. We can grieve him. We can upset him. We can make him sad. If we can please him, we can hurt him. God has a personality. He's not an it sitting up there with no feelings. He has a personality. And if he can be pleased, he can be hurt. And if walking with God pleases him, then walking afar off must upset him. Listen, my, my mother I love with all of my heart. We didn't really have a relationship with one another until I was in my 20s. And from the time that she and I had developed a relationship with one another, I have never wanted to hurt her. To, to my knowledge, I have never raised my voice to my mother. I have never told her she's wrong. I, I've never even argued with her that I know of. Why? Because she's so sweet and she's so tender and she's so good to me and she loves me. Now, here's an important thing about my mother. She stays out of my business. She doesn't interject and say, why don't you do this? And why don't... She is my mother. 
And if I've got enough care about my mother to not want to hurt her, how much more should I think about my actions and reactions uh, to the things that God sends in my life? If I don't want to hurt my mother, I ought to do everything in my power uh, to make sure that I make her happy and not hurt her. If we don't want to hurt God, uh, we ought to walk right, talk right, live right, uh, do the things that would please Him and not upset Him. God can be pleased and he can also be upset. The Hebrew writer says here that faith pleases him. 